ask Nick about doing an evening session with um, developing uh, the command officer uh, grooming command. My department, um, as the training chief, one of my goals was to develop a formal pre-promotion fire officer development uh, system that those people that we identify that are going to end up in charge have some baseline level of development. I, I know in Salisbury, you guys have something that's pretty robust. We've never had that. And I want to develop that so that people don't have to go through the process I did, which was thankfully successful. I didn't hurt anybody, but it was on the job training. And like I tell people in our classes, I was fortunate that I had people like Nick reach out to me and say, hey, Floyd, you're about to get promoted in this position. These are some things you might want to think about and send me documents and send me things to encourage me to command differently. If I hadn't had that, I would have carried on um, as if there was no problem. So that's one reason I wanted to talk about that in one of our Q&As was because I know in Salisbury, you guys have a pretty significant method, uh, which means I'll probably copy and paste that, right? Because that's what we do and uh, try to integrate that. Yeah. So, well, on that, uh, while you guys were chatting, I went ahead and got us started here. So uh, we're live on the air and um, excited to get back at it here. So um, I know I, I kind of said I just kind of wanted to jump right in and just start the conversation. So, you know, let's talk about this firefighters chief thing. I know that is a a common thing that's thrown around is, oh, that guy's a firefighters chief or I wish we had a firefighters chief or whatever. What is that term? Uh, what does it mean? What does it not mean? And, and I think like a lot of things in the firehouse, this stuff starts at the floor, you know, it starts with the, with the guys on the rig and the kitchen table. So I kind of want to start with our company officer perspective here. And, and you know, what's the word on the street? What What is this firefighter's chief thing? Oh, it's a couple things. Uh, very importantly, it's a chief that always keeps the main thing, the main thing, which is, you know, at these fires, there's, you know, halligan bars and hose lines are what's going to put them out. So chiefs that understand what it's still like to ride the tailboard or to be the company officer that can help design fire trucks and turn out gear, equipment, things like that. They're staying engaged. They understand uh, the struggles the guys are going through at the calls, uh, whether it's plans or policies that aren't quite fitting um, and still are willing to get out there and, and do the dirty work with the, with the guys, train, stay engaged. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess, you know, the easy thing you hear when we ask this question in classes stuff is like, well, you know, firefighters, they don't forget where they came from. Um, but, you know, what's that really mean? You know, you know what I mean? I don't know. You know, Floyd, you're kind of another fresh perspective, I guess, you know, 10 years uh, on the line as the senior battalion chief in the Bureau of, in, in Harrisburg Bureau of Fire, you know, now the deputy chief of training. And I guess you've been the deputy for how long now? And I mean, how's that transition been? And what, what are well, you feeling now? I almost have my first year, and I'm coming up on my first year. That was really quick uh, in completing that. And I, I got to tell you, you know, I think I think we talk about that fireman's fire chief. I think we have an image, right? I think we, we all manufacture an image in our mind of like this salty, older guy who's still fighting fire, you know, crusty helmet, crusty gear, um, you know, still willing to work. And, and I think some of that is good, although I will argue that – um, the fireman's fire chief really, it, it, I'll explain my challenge. And we talked about this earlier. My challenge as a deputy chief of training is, um, obviously I'm very training oriented, right? I, I'm in combat ready. I'm you know, state instructor. I'm traveling. I'm speaking, trying to speak the good news. I believe in training, 
But it's challenging. When I'm planning training, the one thing I very seldom get to participate in is training, which is odd, right? Because I'm always working on what's the next event. I got to go. I have a meeting. I got to go to the community college and set up some logistics. And then I got to get in, and check the schedule, make sure the schedule looks right, because the guys will tell you if it's not. So it's it's counterintuitive in that I'm a deputy chief of training and I'm managing the training process. But really what I'm doing is I'm really trying to develop a a robust training system that supports the floor and keeps the main thing the main thing. That's my job is a training system that makes sure my firefighters are, are embracing going to calls and being aggressive and safe. I, I can't tell you how much I, I mean, how much I relate to that struggle. I think, you know, because of how much we hang out and talk. You know, but I'm I'm in exactly the same boat, you know, and and I've been in that boat for ten years, you know, being a training chief or operations chief, and like, you know, it's always this chicken and egg thing, like, you know, what do I want to do? I want to go hang out on the bay floor and like BS in the kitchen all day and like run every call, you know what I mean? And and there's a there's a lot of doing that that I feel like is the firefighter chief thing, you know what I'm saying? Like that. Doing those things is what guys want. But there's another side that like, you know, if I do that for like a week straight, then all of a sudden the banner at the kitchen table is like, man, our gear sucks. Or like nobody (laughs) ordered any more chains for the chainsaw or like, man, like our policy is like way out of date, you know, or what, what are we even doing at the burn building next rotation? And I'm like, Oh, (laughs) that's what I was supposed to be doing in the office when I was hanging out in the kitchen. You know what I'm saying? It's a balance. Like, I mean, obviously now I'm involved in the budgeting process and some some policy development and things like that, which I true. Look, I totally understand the need for that. Um, that is part of my job to support what occurs at that street level. But yeah, I mean, the desire for me is if like today I missed a fire uh, that I could have gone to because I was meeting with an outside person, outside community stakeholder for my EFO development. And I'm oh, just in the middle man. of this. Yeah, and it was like the, the call went out, and I'm like, I know they're working, and I can't leave this. And so uh, it disturbed me. I was disturbed. Today I left a class uh, mm-hmm. to go to a reported <laughs> fire. Uh, it wasn't a I fire, I, but it, uh, I, was, I did get roped into a two-alarm something else that wasn't a fire while I was out. But anyway, you know, I mean, I feel you. And, and you know, so for those that are out there um, that might be in similar positions, um, and just to share a little bit of my workflow, what I have kind of tried to do is um, I, I try to allot the morning for the office and the afternoon for the street, you know, and all of that is subject to interruption by a run. And um, in my department, you know, my size department where we have about 25 people on duty uh, and I'm the chief operations, I am going to run anything of significance when I'm around, to be honest. Uh, and that's not because I don't trust anybody. You know, I let all the players do their thing. I don't take anybody's job, but, you know, I'm, I'm going to come be involved. And, you know, but what I mean by that is barring any emergencies, you know, in the morning, I try to do my office work. I try and do that email or policy or project work or whatever I need to do, except I, I always try to allot some time at shift change, right? So, you know, if I can get to the firehouse by eight, you know, that that's when we change shift. And obviously there's a lot of things going on there. And, and I try to allot some time there just to kind of hang out, just to talk to people, just to see what's going on. Um, before I get into my thing. Um, but after lunch, you know, I definitely try to be out more, more on the street. And that's when I, I'll run calls that I wouldn't normally run. Like I wouldn't normally go to your average automatic fire alarm or your average inside gas leak or things of that nature. 
Um, but you know, when it's, when it's time to just be out on the street, you know, catching up, if one of those runs comes out, like, and I'm in the area, I'm going to go, um, just, just to be involved, you know, and just to keep my eye on that and just keep my hands and that kind of thing. And the other thing I'll try and do in the afternoon is go out and visit some stations, you know, go to the different firehouses or try and go out and catch, catch guys doing drills, you know, or whatever. But that's, that's kind of how I try and balance that a little bit. Do you do anything similar for it or? Same flow. So in the morning, kind of my my workflow for the day, get downtown a little bit before eight, get in, check my email, see if there's any paperwork on my desk. Uh, you know, any paperwork I got to slide left or right. Uh, and then, uh, you know, get that complete. And then sometime what I'll do, I try at least twice a week to get out of the firehouse. I'll go to one of the three firehouses, set up my laptop, get out my phone and make that my portable office, stay in the firehouse, have a cup of firehouse coffee, talk with the guys take a look at the rigs, make sure that, you know, they're maintained, we're looking right. And, uh, you know, again, I won't go to like the automatic fire alarms, unless it's like a second call and the battalion chief is tied up, then I'll take that in as the officer. But I really do try to put some time on the street because I think it's so imperative that the, the troops need to see the chiefs, right? They they have got to see you out of the ta- out of the ivory tower, right? They've got to have that contact. And even if, if it's the voice of complaint or concern, that's my job to hear that. I might not be able to address it. I might not have an answer, but it's my job to hear it and then maybe carry it back to my my peers and say, hey, I had this this issue. Can we talk about this and see if we can resolve it? So I really do kind of try to play the middle field. I'm, I'm like a pseudo second battalion chief, but I'm not a battalion chief. So it, it's tough. But that's what it's allowed me to stay in contact with the street. Yeah. Well, so, you know, our friend, uh, our friend Bull, from California has has dropped something in here in the comments that's worthy of of discussing because it's a real common one that comes up, right? You know, that's kind of the two things. Like if we ask in one of our classes on the street, you know, hey guys, what's a firefighter's chief? Probably the top two answers we're going to hear are um, they don't forget where they came from, which is kind of what we were just talking about a little bit. And this, they let the firefighters do firefighter work. They let the firefighters be aggressive. And what does that mean? That then I feel like that's kind of a two-way street. So I mean, you kind of want to talk. We'll start at the company level again. What does that mean when we say let the firefighters do their job? Yeah, you, you want to have the confidence from the chief and be allowed to do stuff. But at, at the same time, I would say you also want to, you, you know, you want the coach to tell you when you're doing something stupid too, and and reel you back in and go into like what Floyd was talking about, getting the runs in, you know, and getting out there and seeing what the guys are doing and being able to correct action, but also reinforce good action. Right. And I think that's lost a lot of time with chiefs is like, you know, the adage from the floor is like, Oh shit, the chief is here. What did we mess up? Mm. You know, and it's, it's kind of twofold to get that buy-in as you kind of got to reinforce those good habits as well as, you know, doing the hot wash where you say the positioning is wrong or, or whatever it is to get those guys to see the firefighter chief, right? You can't just always be putting them down. Yeah. Well, what do, what do you think, Floyd? What do you think well, about that? Um, let's go back. I think that when we say that, that terminology, he forgot where he came from, that's a double-edged sword, right? Because sometimes um, firefighters will use that excuse when we say the word no. When we say, no, you can't do that, or we're not going to do that, then they'll use that as a, as a defense and say, you forgot where you came from. The reason I'm saying no might be exactly because I know where I came from and I can't allow the organization to do that to protect the organization or I can't allow that to happen for your safety. So there are times a chief where I'm going to have to kind of be that guy and uh, say, no, we can't, we're not going to do that. Well, and if the chief is engaged in training and stuff, 
there shouldn't be a ton of firefighting stuff I want to get away with. Yeah. You, you know, if we're usually if we, it's the admin stuff they want to get away. Yeah. With. If we have a good relationship and we, you know, we all buy into the plan and we're all kind of, you know, reading from the same sheet of music, so to say, there shouldn't be a whole lot of crazy firefighting stuff I can do. And that, that goes back to what we were talking about is keeping the main thing, the main thing. Well, and, but th this whole thing about, you know, letting firefighters do their job on the fire ground, letting firefighters be aggressive, you know, we're, we're all about that. It's, it's, it's on the slide, you know what I'm saying? But um, I, I think something that a lot of people don't process is like, that's a two-way street. Like, you know, I, I think a firefighter's chief wants, wants to have guys that they can take the leash off of, that they can let go do the job. They don't have to micromanage. They don't have to worry about what decision they're going to make. Um, you know, cause they, you know, I say it all the time, like nobody wants to be the general of the army that lost, you know what I'm saying? Like nobody wants to be in command when we burn the block down, we want to be in charge of the successful operation. So, you know, we want aggressive, talented firefighters that are going to go out there. They're going to make good decisions and they're going to solve the problem. But that's, that is definitely an earned thing. Right. And, you know, so it's the responsibility there is definitely on the fire officers and on the firefighters like to build that reputation where nobody feels like they need to look over your shoulder right and if you're out there doing dumb stuff on a routine basis don't expect you're going to have much trust when it matters you know what i mean and uh, go ahead floyd i know as a chief right as a chief what i think my philosophy is if i have a well-written set of policies right and i'm sure later on we're going to talk about this centralization decentralization if I have a well-thought-out set of policies that, that are written in a somewhat decentralized fashion, like I really thought through them and, and, and had them vetted, and then if I add that with a training process that really builds in critical decision-making for my company officers and, you know, uh, and, and following discipline to follow those processes, it takes a tremendous amount of work off of me as a chief knowing that my product, when I push it out, is probably going to be really effective and it's going to work really well. Well, you hit it 100% and, and, and Bull just brought it up again in the comments is, you know, I say all the time that, you know, if you're a leader, you know, in any kind of leadership position, whether that's a captain leading a company or a chief leading a department, like, you know, I don't need to hear about you. Like, I don't need to hear about like, you know, how good you're doing as a leader or how think good you think you're doing as a leader. I just need to go look at your people, right? And And if your people are, you know, disciplined, motivated, talented, aggressive, then I mean, like, man, they must be working. Floyd must be a hell of a chief if this is the guys that work for him. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think that there's no better indicator of the quality of your leadership than the people that you're leading. And, and so, I mean, Bull makes a great point there is that it's the iceberg analogy that we always talk about is, you know, the 5% the of the iceberg that floats above the surface. I mean, well, that's a lot, you know, a lot of times that's all people see. But really, you know, what, what's making that stuff above the surface float, you know, what's making the fire ground float is what happens in the office, on the bay floor and on the drill grounds beneath the surface, you know, getting the department and getting the members ready for that. You can't just want to go to a tough fire and be a great department like that takes, you know, years, probably years, probably of consistent work to get to that point. Yeah, it, it, you're looking at you're looking at deep subjects like the cultural engagement, uh, you know, the buy-in towards a mission that that the whole department believes in, consistently, right? And and I think you know when you look at the training processes, 
of building in stress inoculation that people are working at a high performing level that you know you've got look look even in my department every department i think anybody online right now would agree in your department you probably have some companies that don't want to train and some companies that do right you've got some companies that you can barely get them off the lounge chair there's a there's probably a real low performing threshold on a fire ground for those groups when they go out and then you've got some companies that you they can't train enough and then when you watch them work it's like watching a well orchestrated um, you know football team run a play and you're like man that was impressive and the hard part is getting getting people to kind of move that direction as a training officer I, I really try to get people encouraged to enjoy training and that's a challenge man like there's obviously I really like training and there's some people that I am not gonna I'm not gonna encourage enough to take this seriously and then like many fire departments out there they learn the hard way when it's too late that they did not invest upfront enough. And by that, you can't replace the person that we lost, right? It's what's done is done. I'm just trying to, for me, I just want to make sure Harrisburg Bureau of Fire is not that next department. That's my goal. I, I think that's that's killer. And we say, you know, when we use the term, the main thing, you know, keep the main thing, the main thing. Uh, Chief said something to me six years ago when he came to Salisbury. He said, you're either going to fires or getting ready to go to fires. And, and yep. that's what you're doing. And I think that's what we're all trying to do, whether you're, you know, the shift battalion or the probie, you know, that's your job that day is to go to fires and get ready to go to fires. Well, you know, Kevin, right before we came on, you brought up a really good point. And you were talking about the the criticality of um, kind of that middle chief, that battalion chief or the shift commander, whatever you want to call him. You know, you brought up how how important that's the guy that's got to make it stick. Right. If I'm at home as a chief officer off duty. And the battalion chief or on duty OIC is letting things slide. I'm not going to know that. And the department's going to suffer, maybe have a catastrophic failure. But that's the person that I need to be most bought in to making us a high performance organization. And that's only going to happen if we have FaceTime where I can encourage them and say, hey, look, these are the expectations that I, of the, the type of things that I want to see. Right. If we don't do that. Even that middle chief can get lost in the lost in the mix. Oh, a hundred percent. And it, and you know, whether for us it's a battalion chief, and for combination fire departments, it could be a company officer or whoever's there that day. But a hundred percent, and it's it's you running those calls, even when they're nonsense, and having that FaceTime and saying, oh, you know, like, look, the positioning is great, or you know, we probably could have done the positioning better here. Why did this truck do that? Or having those conversations, and you know driving it through to the to the people that you say are going to be there leading the floor every day is so important so critical for the for the admin chiefs uh, the other day nick you posted a image of after action report after action uh hot washes yeah and right right there is a key point if you're a battalion chief or shift commander look, i i know it's tough you get the call done you want to get back to the firehouse get a hot cup of coffee go back to dinner i get that i've been there right i understand that Take those few minutes and capture some learning, man. Like, looks for something construction. There's always some improvement. Take five minutes with the company officers and just chat about well, anything. hundred percent. And if you're not, if you're not, I mean, you just you're just missing so much. And what you said is so right. Like, everybody sits around and wants to go to a work and fire today, um, and then. We get to work and fire, and by the time like fires knocked down and we call under control, everybody's like checking their watch, like when can I leave? You know what I mean? And in many cases, it's been days, weeks, or months that you've been like jonesing to get on this fire ground, and now here you are, and you're trying to get out of there as quick as possible. 
Right. And I know the fun part is cutting the roof, searching a room, and stretching the line. And once that's over, you know, it loses luster because you have to pack all the hose. But, you know, so much of the most valuable observation and, and conversation comes from just hanging out there just probably a little bit longer than you think you need to. You know what awesome. I mean? Just like when you feel like, okay, I can probably leave now, stay five, ten more minutes. Go look at a couple more things. Go talk to a couple more people. You know, yeah, because your company probably played one one vital task maybe the truck company was on the roof and had a different perspective so get up on the roof with them and say hey what'd you see show me what you saw and get that other company perspective or another officer's perspective maybe you thought your engine did a great stretch maybe the other captain on the other floor had a suggestion hey guys try this right take the moment there's there's a couple things i try and look at um on any fire before i leave and and you know so i i can't look at the size ups but i heard them on the radio so I'm, I'm here, I'm thinking about those. And then um, I want to look at the apparatus positioning. I'm going to see how our water supply looked. I'm going to see how our ladder company position looked. I'm going to see, are there companies in the way that shouldn't be in the way that should have staged a block out or something like that. Um, I'm going to take a lap of the building. I'm going to look at all four sides of the building um, and just kind of get an idea of what I see there in terms of you know, everything, of course, from, from construction to fire, you know, fire movement, stuff like that. Then I'm going to look at all the interior positions. I want to look at the hose line stretch um, and and uh, the hose line placement, see how that kind of looked. Look at any doors that were forced, like even though the door was already forced, like if you've been around enough forced doors, you can kind of look right. at them and kind of get well, an idea like, okay. If the was secure, what would we have done? Yeah. How, how did, the, well, how did this go? If they forced it, like, how did it go? Did it go well? You know, was there a lot of obstacle? What technique did they use? You know, that kind of stuff. And like you said, ventilate, if they cut the roof, I'm going to go up on the roof and look at the hole afterwards and just see how that went. And, you know, I think there's a couple things in there that, um, you know, people might not associate with the firefighter's chief thing, but I do. And that's expectation and inspection. Um, you know, it is okay to have an expectation for what your people will do and how they will do it. And it is okay to inspect what they do um, and, enforce and, and, and enforce it, right? And that becomes the dirty word, right? Is I think what a lot of people's definition of a firefighter's chief is, that guy leaves me alone. I don't hear anything from him. And, you know, on the fire ground for sure, and maybe even off the fire ground, he lets me do whatever he want, whatever I want. And that's, that's an easy I, to work for, man. He's easy. That sounds like a lot of fun, uh, but I don't think that's really leading in the direction we want to lead. What do, what do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, I, I love that. And the great company officers that I had would talk me through searching a structure on a medical call, right? The great company officers will take time when you're out in the street to show you size up and 360 and look at these bunk beds. But incident commanders today, the fire's over, there's nothing said, there's no coaching, there's no after action. And, and that is something that, you know, we, we need to do better of. We well, need to get the officers together and, and have those conversations. And also, if, if every time you hear from your boss, whether your boss is a captain or a chief, they're just giving you a trophy and they're never handing you your ass. What is the trophy worth? <laughs> they give them out every day. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not saying that, you know, we, we want to appreciate our guys and we want them. I'm sure they all do mostly good work, but like. You want to be drilling in on these guys because I think that's what the most dialed in people want. The most dialed in people want to be challenged. They yes. want to be called out. You know, so I was we haven't talked about this yet. But I, so I was in Michigan with his firefighter 
um, this past weekend, and he got to present a little bit. And so one of the things he talked about was how, you know, this guy was driving the ladder truck, went to an automatic fire alarm. So he finished dressing out and then he grabbed his ladder and went and did his his thing. And afterwards, he basically handed him his ass because he chose the, the wrong ladder. You know what I'm saying? And I think some people are looking at this and, and they haven't gotten past the fact that the guy got dressed and pulled a ladder on an automatic fire alarm. Yeah, that was under control before he got the ladder. Yeah, that was under control. Like they're still chewing on that part, which is exactly like, the yeah. kind of mentality we promote. I, I think that would be the biggest way to shut your personnel down. If you're if your critique hot washes are just going to be ass reamings, the guys are going to want to be there. You know, like, like, well, there's got to be some reward in this a little bit, but not everything. Right but now. what I'm saying is, 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 yeah, that is that, you know, you know, so, you know, Burgess was basically telling Scott, Hey, look, this is not the right ladder because of this, that, and the other thing. And, right. you know, some people would just be so happy that this guy brought a ladder. But I mean, yeah. the point is like, if we're really dialing in, it should be the right thing. Right. And this, you know, that egoless environment that like if your head is really in the right place, you know, you don't take it as a butt chew and you take it as a no, dial. No, no, in. Yeah, but it's, to improve, it's to improve the system. Yeah. When like Chief said, motivated people want to be challenged. Right. So, you know, if you have someone who's who's killing it and they're, you know, you never give them anything. And, and I'm all for positive reinforcement of good behavior. But if, you know, your best people never hear anything. And they're starving for give me something, teach me the next thing. I want to do better. You have to offer that as well. There is, you know, the delicate balance of the positive reinforcement, but also the coaching, leading, and developing. Yeah. Well, and, and to be clear, he was very happy you did that because I think when you have these young buck go getters and they go to a fire and they come out and they go, they're all sooty and they're happy because they went to a job and they, Chief, Chief Wise, how did I do? And you give it, you know, if you give them the, well, you know, fire went out and everybody went home. So <laughs> good job. Like, they're oh, like, I hate so much. I mean, they, they just astounded them. They're like, you don't have anything for me. You don't have anything right. that right. I could do to perform, you know? And, well, and yeah, of course, there's old, the, old, the old compliment sandwich, like, you know, give them a couple yeah, things they did great. How young firefighters today really do appreciate that feedback. I think they're more feedback driven, both positively, positively and negatively. Um, not, I don't want to be negative feedback, like you're screaming at them, but they're, they're, like you said, they're more open to that suggestion and guidance today. And that's our job. If you're a company officer, your job, one of your main jobs is mentorship, man. Leadership is mentorship. Same thing. If you're a chief officer, your job is to work with those company officers and, and mentorship. My job as a deputy chief is to mentor my battalion chiefs as much as I can. And, uh, we talked on break when we were starting. One of my things I want to implement is a command level development so that I can mentor expectations for people before they get thrust into being responsible for people's lives. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think when you're having these conversations, like, you know, the more detail oriented you have to, you're, that you're getting to be in hot washes or after actions or whatever, the better indicator that is of how much good prep work you did. Right. Because not to bring the ladder. Yeah. Well, there, there are some, <laughs> there, there's some, you get know, the right ladder. There's some hot washes that, you know, if anybody's ever seen the movie Roxanne, you know, can relate to, you know, that the guys are like, guys, this this didn't go so good. I think maybe next time we ought to bring the fire trucks, you know, this guy brings a 10 foot loft ladder to a third floor window or something. Yeah. But, you know, when when you're at the hot wash and you're like, look, man, you selected the 28 foot ground ladder. And I think in this situation, the 30 foot ground ladder would have been a lot better. You know what I'm saying? And that's that's maybe a false analogy. But when you're 
when you're like diving in the details over two foot of ground ladder or like, you know, getting into some niche stuff. I mean, when you're able to hone in on that kind of detail, that shows you how developed and high caliber you are because you don't have to remind everybody, you know, to wear their helmet when they get off the truck. But the, the right. other thing right. to go along with that is, is to be that firefighter's chief, you can get away with being more direct, right? The, you know, I look at it, I try to be very developed in basic firefighter skills, and I try to be very engaged on my company so that I, when I need to, I, I can be more direct and, and more disciplinary, for a lack of a better word, to my people Evan, because they go, he gets it. I, I think that's a huge thing, and you talk about credibility. building credibility, you know? Credibility. Yep. Yeah, 100%. It, it, like if it, I knew, like if I was a chief that was never out, right? Like I haven't been, I haven't stretched a hand line in 20 years, right? And then I'm going to come to Nick and I'll say, Nick, you stretched that 200 foot. That looked like crap. You're, you're, you're going to look at me and go, well, when have you stretched a hand line since like 1971? Like, right. There's no credibility. Exactly. If, if nobody sees you for six months and then you come out to a fire and you're like, you know what, guys, I think the tower ladder, the, the, ta the turntable, the tower ladder could be a little bit more full board. They're like, who the F is this guy? <laughs> right. I mean, wh what when was you? the last fire you were on? Like, what was, what was the last time you drove this? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think that's huge. Well, so how about this? So we're talking about all these things that are this firefighters chief stuff. What is not a firefighters chief? And, and let's not just go with like, okay, the opposite of what we've said, you know, obviously the opposite of, you know, forgetting where you came from and micromanaging your firefighters would be bad. But I mean, other than that, you know, what kind of behaviors are not the firefighters chief stuff? Well, one is, you know, I want my, my chiefs to be able to put their gear on and everything, but I don't want them on the nozzle either, right? right? I think it was way back in the comments and Bull suggested, let your firefighters be firefighters. And I think that is also part of being that firefighter's chief. And I think, you know, something that stands out to, to us or to me is chiefs that are as engaged in command as they expect me to be with my size up 360 in searches. Yeah, Good, Floyd. You look like you have something to say. I'm going to say I'm going to throw out the term micromanagement. Um, chiefs that are unable to disconnect from the position that they held when they were maybe a company officer or a firefighter. That's what they're comfortable. They know how to be firefighters, know how to be company officers. So they will micromanage that level because they're not comfortable with the position that they've promoted. Into. Yeah, they, they miss, don't know they miss it doing. too much. Right. So I think that that micromanagement level, you know, I look, I'm, I've moved to deputy chief. I'm not going to tell company officers how to manage their crews. That's their job. That's why we promoted them. Hopefully we promoted the right people. That's why we train them correctly. That's why we give them their extra whatever, $2 an hour, whatever they earn. Yeah, um, right. You know, be the company. Show me what you can do. I, I'm going to give you some ground rules and then you show me what you can make out of that. I, I think those are all great points. And, and I think that the the soup can get muddy pretty quick because I, it it is easy to think that like the firefighter's chief thing is like i get my three-quarter boots and my long coat on i throw on my tin helmet i'm in there next to the nozzle screw all this command stuff let's just you know fight fire brother and um you know i think sometimes people think that's what i do um because I, there's a lot of pictures of me and dirty in an air pack, um, you know, but the, the reality is the way our system is set up, um, you know, a lot of times I am the second arriving chief officer on the scene. And so Absolutely. even though I am the ops chief and the battalion chiefs technically report to me, 
we don't run a system where I'm going to come on scene and take command from them, right? You know, we operate under the idea that, you know, Kevin's an acting battalion chief. Like, he either is or is not qualified to be in command of a fire. If he if he can be in command of a fire when I'm not there, he can certainly be in a command of a fire when I am there. So if I show up and he's in command, he's going to continue on, and I'm going to take the next position to support him, which in our environment is usually – um, gear in an air pack and taking a forward position either on the fire floor or, you know, one of the exterior positions or something like that. But, um, you know, in any of those situations where that's what I'm doing, we also have that person at the stationary command post. Um, but, you know, I know Floyd, we've talked too. I mean, the other thing I don't think that is helpful, I, I think they think they're being the firefighters chief when they do it, but I don't know that they are, is when another chief officer shows up you know, you're you're on the struggle bus as the only chief there as the incident commander, and you really need some command help. And a later arriving chief offers you no command assistance. Is that yeah? What, what do you got any thoughts on that? Yeah, completely. Uh, in my opinion, unacceptable. Uh, having been there, having been in that position where I have a tough fire, uh, you know, and I'm trying to make order out of that. The one thing I need is someone to help me help share that burden, right? And that goes back to the reason why we, um, I guess we preach that aggressive command because there needs to be a, a system thought out that pr puts people in specific places to help break that chaos sandwich down into layers so that the incident commander can consume it and taste it correctly. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like we got to break that down into the, 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 the lettuce, the bologna and the tomatoes. Right. And um, those, those chiefs coming in, if we put them, in the right place and they they because of maturity and development understand that they're not going to be command they're supporting a commander that fire ground is infinitely more productive infinitely more productive and i've had fires in my head in my past where i have been supported and i've had fires where i have not been supported and i'll say that honestly and i think that my bosses would understand that i've had that i don't think that's unfair the fires that i was supported went much better marginally better was safer on the fire ground and I had much more control than I, when I wasn't supported and the entire time I was very nervous and extremely unsure of what was occurring. So yeah, I it, think the, the mature fireman's fire chief understands the system and knows how to plug in correctly. Yeah. You know, the, you know, I guess another way to say that is, you know, I, I guess the firefighters chief thing is to me a little bit that the, the firefighters chief is willing and able to do anything you need him to do whether it's commanding a fire, pumping the engine, or or stretching the line, right? right? But they're disciplined enough to, you know, not do, to not go get on the nozzle just because they want to. You get what I'm saying? Right. Like, if the situation arise and you needed them to, they're ready and able. You know what I'm saying? But, you know, in most situations that they're filling that command role, like you're talking about there, because I think what you're talking about there is like, it's the same analogy between, you know, when we stretch the second attack line, it goes a lot better. The whole thing goes better if the second attack line supports the first attack line, not if they're two competing things. You know what I'm saying? And I think it's the same with the with the command roles. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. That 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 chief uh, and and we always say chief officer it doesn't have to be a chief officer. It could be another officer that plugs into that. As long as they understand that job role and that it's a it's a bigger picture of the team operating. And they can work inside of that and communicate appropriately with the people that are in charge. That's that's the Cadillac right there. That's the Cadillac. Yeah. But so, that system be developed by policy and training. 
It's got well, to be developed. I'm glad you said the P word there, Floyd, um, because, you know, we had a, a couple of questions that came up and wanted to kind of talk about, um, you know, basically incident commander versus SOG or policy driven fire rounds, or basically, you know, what we would call decentralized command, which is more of a policy driven thing and centralized command, which is more of an incident commander driven thing. And, you know, you can anonymize this, but I know you've had some conversation recently that kind of that kind of speaks to, you know, some chief's perspective on the importance of an IC-driven fireground. What, what, have, what have been some of the conversations you've heard on that? The micromanaging? Well, that's not what they would call it, but... Well, that... From the chief's perspective. Yeah, you know I I'm mean, saying? you know, you'll have this conversation about uh, an SOG-driven system, and the answer you'll get is, well, I mean, you know, it's worked forever that someone just gets there and just tells everybody what to do, you know, and... And that's great if that person's at work. <laughs> I, you know, it, it, I, I think this, I kind of think, and, and I, I'm curious what you guys think, um, is that that is a bit of a egotistical, um, anti-firefighters chief mentality, right? So if the idea is that we can't have any kind of plan that would allow the company officers to deploy in a coordinated manner, basically without further direction, the direction being that the, the plan that they're acting on, we can't do that because I'm the big smart chief and uh, I need to get there so that I can broadcast my wisdom upon you and tell everybody what they need to do. And if I don't do that, there's no way this will be successful. Do you get what I'm saying? Is that, oh, that 100%. it seems egotistical to me. It seems, and it seems like, it seems like somebody who thinks that doesn't trust their company officers. Not, right. not only that, but I mean, you go around the country and, and you say, what things do you want to do at a fire? And there there are only so many things you're going to do and they don't change. It's not like I need to be there to solve the math problem that nobody else could solve. Yeah. It's very consistent things that need to be done. What do you think, uh, Floyd? Well, I, I guess uh, we had talked earlier. I, I'm going to suggest this. Look, look, I'll admit, and I think a lot of people out there would agree with me. I'm not the brightest guy in the world, right? I'm not. I'm not smart. So I like things that are simple, right? <laughs> Not as heady. I like things that are simple. How many unique, uh, genius ways are there to command a fire that we have not already determined, right? And so these individuals that are that are that wise and they're that in touch with with command, I would be very interested to see what their technique is because I I, I believe again that company officers can. Uh, I, look, I've witnessed strong company officers drive an excellent fireground with weak command, right? And it's kind of the opposite of what we're suggesting, where what you're saying is we have this uh, uber-intelligent command officer, this chief who drives the company officers. I've seen just the opposite, right? And I think the system should be designed that way so that when, it, when and if we do have command that's not fully developed, they sort of brace that up a little bit, support that chief that maybe doesn't have that experience. I don't, I don't really, I, I would be very curious to see this new method that we have never, I'm always listening, right? To, for, for something new. Well, how, and, you know, but you see this surface different places. Like one of our firefighters recently was traveling um, and was talking to a company officer, a ladder officer, ladder company officer in, in a, in another city um, far from here. And they were talking about how that ladder company operated 
And um, I think our member asked about if they split, like, because our ladder companies split into inside and outside teams and report and perform separate functions. And this ladder officer basically was like, no, 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 I, I don't let our people do that. Um, and basically the answer as to why was that the officer's like, well, you know, if I'm not there with them, I can't watch what they're doing. I can't tell them what they're doing. Um, and, you know, even our firefighter, our young backstep firefighter read through right that. And he's like, oh, you know, we didn't say it to the guy, but in his head, he's like, oh, okay, I, I copy that. You don't trust your people. You know, well, if that I mean, if that whole thing is true, then the safest place for everyone on the fire ground for the incident commander to be is next to the nozzle. <laughs> well, and, and there's some that would like, that, you know, Maybe, but the incident commander, everybody would be right there. So we'll just let the how yeah, about just we bring just everyone the, to the yeah. fire room with hose lines. <laughs> and, and, and I think we've already talked and the all of the topics involved with this centralized versus decentralized IC driven versus policy driven fire ground. That deserves its own podcast. We're, we're, we're going to do one specifically on that because there's just so many things to get in there. But as it relates to the topic tonight in terms of firefighters chief stuff, you know, I, I can't I don't process the concept of, well, I, I, ha I have to be the one that gets there and tells everybody what, what to do, because if I don't do that, nobody will know what to do. You know what I mean? That it, that doesn't seem hand in hand with developing on trusting our people. You know, I, I, mean? I will say this, Nick, when you talk about that fireman's fire chief, um, I guess, you know, ideally I, I'd like to see um, those senior senior leadership still going to conferences, attending FDIC, uh, even going back to a basic class once in a while, going to do the writ drill with their people just because they want to refresh just in case Let's say they end up on the fire floor as a division officer and something goes south, right? I don't think there's a time. This is my opinion. I don't think there's a time when anybody in the fire department from the time you start to the time you retire, when you ever really get away from that risk, unless you're in a mammoth fire department, like you're in a huge department, major city, like, you know, FDNY, where you're the top of FDNY, you're probably not going to be on the fire floor. But in departments our size, where I've got three firehouses, five companies, there's a good chance if I go there as a second, third chief, I'm working somewhere, right? Either at the command post or in the building. So I've got to know whether we're ventilating correctly, whether we're flowing the right amount of water, what wall needs opened up, you know, what does it mean to pull trim? I've got to still be able to do all those things, right? And yeah. then you got to be able to walk out next day, show up in the office next morning and talk about budget, administration, policy, and be just, just as professional. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, to me, that's why I've always kind of thought, and I've, you know, I've worked in, uh, a lot of big fire departments, you know, 30, 30 station plus fire departments. But I've always thought that like the sweet spot is like that. Like if you get above 10, you start getting a little too big, I think for my comfort, because, you know, and that's a personal perspective because I'm in these admin roles now, but like when you're in the 10 or less club, 10 or less fire stations, you know, you can, you can still stay really hands-on and, and in a lot right. of cases you have to. Um, and so I, I personally, um, I personally enjoy that. And I think in, in, in our system, it's important because as like a deputy chief, we don't have a second battalion on duty and we don't have a, like you have that battalion two program. We don't have that. So I am the second command officer. Like I'm not the duty officer tonight. Although right now there's a fire in Steelton that I'm missing that I would probably I hear that radio to. in the background. Um, yes. I'm right here. Listen, um, <laughs> I go to support that chief because I know there's an incident commander in the city 
not now in my city, but someplace that's running that fire by himself until I can get there and say, hey, boss, how can I help you? What floor do you want me? What exposure do you want me You know, to, to turf some of that? Yeah. And, and I want to come back to that because I think that, you know, that's that's what a lot of firefighters don't understand, um, you know, is, is that when we talk about filling out these command positions or, or you know, like you're talking about, they're going to support that that chief who's operating on that fire by themselves right now. Ultimately, it is that support that, you know, keeps those firefighters safe and, and enables us to be more aggressive in how we're fighting the fire, you know, because we're, we're not drowning in this incident. So, you know, I want to come back to that in one second um, when we talk about, you know, when does good command matter? But, um, you know, I also want to say, you know, sometimes there's a lot of firefighters out there that do this to themselves. There, and what I mean by that is there are guys in the firehouse that, um, you know, basically create non-firefighters chiefs because they force those chiefs to be disconnected, right? There is, you know, in most firehouses, there is always that, you know, friendly banter between, you know, the guys on the floor and the brass and 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 that's fine and that's cool and I'm in on that game. But there are a lot of departments out there where there is a, you know, the Berlin Wall has been built between admin and the floor or, or between the chiefs and the guys. And then the guys want to complain about how their chiefs don't get it. And I'm like, well, of course they don't get it. You kicked them out of the club. You know, anytime the chiefs try and come to the kitchen table, you don't talk to them. You know, anytime they come to the drill field, you make fun of them or you don't engage them in the drill. You know, they show up on a fire ground, you give them shit because they're micromanaging you or so you say. You get what I'm saying? Like, no wonder they don't get it. Um, and, and so I, I think you got to make sure that if you want to have, you know, those firefighters, chiefs in your organization, if you're the firefighter or the captain or the person on the floor that wants that, you've got to invite them into the club. You know what I'm saying? You got to let them come to the party and see what's going on. Um, otherwise, they are going to be disconnected. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I think that that is 100% correct that from from on the floor, you know, you have to be willing to like Floyd was saying, let chiefs come and participate in drills. And you have to be willing to be told, you know, uh, corrections and things like that. And if, if we're all being honest with ourselves, and we all want to be the best firefighter for the worst fire of our career 10 seconds from now, then we're always trying to get better. And anybody can offer that, whether that's the deputy chief of training or your probationary firefighter. And you have to be open to things because if you're just constantly shutting stuff down, whether it's to the probie, you know, or your backstep guy or the chief, they're just going to quit giving it to you. They're not going to give you anything. Yeah. And I just, I just think it's so mutually beneficial. I mean, I, even even not talking about fires, I remember you know we went we had a water rescue call a couple of weeks ago. It was your shift, but I don't think you were working. Um, and you know I went to the I went to one of the put-ins where they're putting the boats in, and like all the command stuff was covered. Um, but I walked up and they they were getting ready to launch a second boat, and they needed somebody to drive. And they're like, "Hey, chief, you want to drive the other boat?" And I'm like, Heck "Yeah, I can't get my I can't get my my PFD and stuff quick enough." You know what I mean? And so now. You know, now I'm out there driving the driving the second boat in this water rescue thing. And, and you know, I, I think that I, I know I enjoy that. I, I know that I number one, I like doing that um, and I, I still want to do firefighter stuff. And I, I feel like it is good for the guys um, that we stay engaged like that and that we can jump in in those things. And, and Nick, you, you know, when they a- come to me. 
Well, when they come to me the next day and they're like, Chief, this boat sucks. And I'm I'm not like, well, what do you mean? I'm like, oh, yeah, I drove that thing the other day. I know we're buying a new one. Or writing, or writing policy. Yeah. The idea that you understand what's going on helps you write policies that support aggressive firefighting. Yeah. Well, I mean, you guys bring up a good point that, you know, like our world is just not about fighting fire, right? That chief officer has a job in mass casualty. And that chief officer has a job. The command officer has a job in special operations, especially special operations in large, large incidents, you know, disaster management. Look at, look at um, my department right now, we're going through some training at the company officer level on active shooter incidents and how we're going to manage that. And, and there's a, there's, if there's ever been a place for strong command and control, that's going to be led by the fire department, probably not from the police department. That's our bailiwick, right? So we need to have a system that can absorb the unique calls that go beyond the fire ground. Yeah. And, and you know what? It, it can't also just be the cool stuff. Like every once in a while, you got to get out there and take a blood pressure. You know what I'm saying? Like it can't just be like, oh, chief, chief just shows up when we need another when we need another line stretched. Like some days yep. you got to get out there and just do the routine things, too. I think I think there's value in that, you know. But so, well, when when does all this matter? Right. I mean, we talk about this all the time, you know, when we're on the road and everything, you know, when does good command matter? But when when does it matter? Is it just like, you know, on the towering inferno or what? what I mean, what well, is your guys' perspective? What is the floor's perspective on chief stuff and command stuff? I mean, for us, it matters every time. It matters any time we're entering an ideal age. I mean, even on interstates, you know, that's as dangerous as anywhere. But good command matters to us, you know, on any one of those calls. Uh, and it's important that it's done right every time. And I always think about, like, I might be on the, you know, the one-room bread and butter but if I'm 10 seconds away from a mayday, is good command going to matter then? And what if it's me, you know? And, and, and so I need my battalion chief or whatever chief level uh, command level officer got there to be running an organized, well-disciplined incident for my sake on every one of those calls. Yeah, I, I think people miss that so much is that, you know, people think that all this hoopla about command stuff only matters you know, on some multiple alarm high rise fire or something like that. And, you know, you just, just pick a, just pick a year, pick whatever year you want and go on NIOSH's website and, and look at the fires that firefighters died in. Um, And you're going to find out they're, they're mostly what would have otherwise been a bread and butter fire, you know, until things went bad, it was a bread and butter fire, you know, a a lot of them in residential. I mean, I think that statistic about, you know, 70 plus firefighters, that die in the line of duty, die at residential fires. Well, you know, like you said, if we're about to have a Mayday operation or a NIOSH report, does good command matter at that incident? You know, I think it does. And, um, you know, a lot of people just, you, you know, you don't know when that's going to come. Like, you know, when, you're, when your phone hits on the old active 911 or pulse point or whatever, it doesn't say, oh, house fire with line of duty death. Let's go, guys. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like you have nobody goes to that fire thinking that's what's going to happen. Well, the other thing, too, is you go to those NIOSH reports and, you know, if I die in a fire tomorrow, there's going to be some wonky drill at the at the, you know, regional self-survival skill. But every one of those reports talks about accountability, communication, resources. Those are command level problems, command post location. And like, where is the outrage about when do are we going to do good command? Where is the fire services outrage? Because if it was some crazy firefighter school, it would be in every fire one and two program in the country. Yeah. And and that is a great point. I mean, that, you know, every once in a while, something unique happens and all of a sudden there's this like, 
there's this grand wizard training about like how, all right, guys, it turns out what you need to do is, you know, you need to make sure Mars isn't in retrograde before you go inside of a fire because we had a fire where somebody died and that was what was happening. And you're like, well, wait a minute. The real issue, you know, was these repeating issues of resources, accountability, water supply, tactics. And, you know, that just happened to happen um, in hand in hand with a unique event. And then so all of a sudden we forget about the basic firefighting failures because we're focused on a unique event. You know what I'm saying? I don't know. Flo Floyd, you got any thoughts on that? Or um, Actually, I have to apologize, guys. I've got a jet. There's two alarms outside my city. My battalion chief just left the city. He's commanding that fire. So I'm heading in to cover my city and maybe go to a fire. Well, there's a direct flight um, from Charlotte to Harrisburg. I think it leaves in a couple minutes. So we'll see you there, Floyd. Have I got to go do the job, guys. Thank you. So, and uh, and then there was two. Yeah. I guess it's just us, you know, um, waiting on that fire to come in. But, you know, you know, so when we when we talk about that, you know, we were talking about that good command thing and, and why that matters. Um, you know, what, what, you know, what is the outlook on the floor about, you know, and I kind of asked this earlier, but I mean, what are the guys on the floor? Why do they think it matters? I mean, I know they know it matters, but why do they think it matters? Well, they think it matters because they, they want an organized fire ground and they want resources in place in the correct places so that they can be successful. I mean, no team shows up to the Super Bowl and thinks, man, I sure hope the head coach puts the kicker in as the center. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? And they, they just want organized, disciplined things so they can go. I think Bull hit it on the head. It's like, let firefighters be firefighters. And then I kept reading like, you know, micromanaging is because of a lack of trust and all of these things. And all of them are the root of not solid command, whether it's setting up before the fire or at the fire. It's like this. I have to control everything because no one else can do anything and I don't want to get caught. And, and good firefighters want there to be good plans in place that are followed, that are disciplined so they can go do the things, the VESs, the searches and host lines they want to do. Well, and, you know, put it back up here. You know, again, R Ryan said this perfectly is like, what about teaching successors? Right. You know, what about, you know, what, what about preparing the organization for when I can't be on the fire? Like, I assure you, and you know this, I want to be at every single fire we go to. Right. But that is a want. And that's because I like going to fires, right? I shouldn't need to be there. The organization has to be able to function without me. I have to be able to go on vacation. I have to be out of town or whatever. Like, you know, I get it. Yeah, you want to be there because you love going to fires. I get that, right? But, you know, it, it's just like, you know, I guess it's another another side of, of how we talked about the biggest indication of your quality as a leader is who you lead. I guess the second biggest indicator would be what happens when you're not there, right? Because if, if fires go great when you're there, well, that's cool. But if fires are a disaster when you're not there, what does that say? And 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 to me, it kind of says maybe we haven't prepared our people as well as we should have. No, right? I agree, yeah. So, you know, our buddy Spray9 also makes a good point. You know, you know, it's easy to get in these in these discussions and, and you might listen to it and be pissed off because you're like, well, my chiefs aren't this way or my chiefs are this way or whatever they're doing. You know, I think, you know, Spray 9 brings up a, a great a great perspective there that, you know, at the end of the day, you got to control what you can control, right? I mean, you know, there are some guys that get it. There are some chiefs that get it. And there, there are some that aren't. And um, I don't want to say this the wrong way, but you got to figure out how to work with what you got. You know what I mean? If you've got an aggressive firefighters chief that you work for, well, A plus, good for you. Have a great time. You know, if you don't, 
then you've got to figure out what you're working with and how to work in that system to, to make the outcome happen that you want to happen, that aggressive action. Yeah. And opening up the club, you know, like you were talking about as a way to try to start that process. I mean, you know, it might not work. It might, you know, some chiefs might just feel like they've been out of the loop for too long and you need to bring them back in. But, you know, you're right that you have to operate within the the confines that you have. Yeah. So, um, you know, I I think that's some good discussion there on this. You know, we said we kind of wanted to keep this stuff to a solid hour. Um, also I'm very interested now in what fire Floyd went to. He works in Harrisburg. I'm sure you can catch that on the Dauphin County fire scanner right now, if you're curious. Um, but, um, we're going to be doing these again, probably about every month. These will be up on YouTube. So if you didn't get, if you know somebody who didn't get a chance to watch them, they'll be available to watch as soon as we hit the end button here. Um, but we appreciate everybody jumping on here tonight. If you'd like to, if you have some ideas of some, uh, upcoming content that you'd like to see on here or some different questions you'd like us to get into, please jump on our website, combatreadyfire.com, and send them over to us. And uh, until then, till next time, stay combat ready, and we'll see you out there next time.